Well, hey there, guys, and welcome to the Circle YXE podcast. My name is Austin, and I am so glad that you're listening. I am actually joined by a really special guest. This week, we're joined by John Ravishander. Really special guest. Wow. Really special guest. What an honor. <laughs> I know. The reason it's so special is because we have been talking about podcasting mm-hmm. forever. Typically on a Thursday night after Alpha, I go up to John's office and he's still working for some reason. And we talk for hours and we're like, you know, we should just put on podcast mics and, and just make podcasts out of these conversations. And we usually go until my wife texts me, where are you? And then it's pretty late at that point. So it's time to go home. So, oh, it's been like midnight, you know, like close to 1 a.m. sometimes. So, yeah. Sorry, Jess. I mean, yeah. The one time she, uh, <laughs> she woke up with a start wondering if I'd like hit the ditch or gotten an accident. No, we were yeah, just having yeah. a, a micless podcast in your office. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's good. It's good to be here. Yeah. We, we have some really good conversations on Thursday nights. I feel like just like in general, we do. Yeah. We just have these mics attached to us permanently 24 seven and just, Whatever it records, it records, and we, we just roll with it. Yeah, I honestly don't think anyone went on and listened to that but us, but there you go. <laughs> so conceited. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we asked John to join us for our conversation on the seven best postures to take in a time of fear. And so today we actually wanted to tackle the conversation of being adaptable mm-hmm. in a time of fear. And so I guess the question for you is, how are you adapting during this stay-at-home order pandemic? Yeah, that's a good question. I think... Um, in a couple of different ways, uh, some some ways I've been doing it well, some ways I've been doing it poorly. But uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of I'm an ambivert, so uh, you know, my introverted side is like, yes, this is great, <laughs> you know, and you know, I, I'm gelling with that. But my extroverted side is is uh, you know, there, there's some issues there with that. You know, I really love socializing and interacting with people, and so. Uh, this time of forced isolation has been really difficult. And I think you could kind of relate to that too, Austin. I feel like we're similar in that regard. Um, but, you know, part of being adaptable for me has just been, okay, well, you know, we can't see each other face-to-face or be in the same physical space, but we can, you know, utilize technology and still stay in touch and, you know, play games online together. So, uh, you know, for me, that's been really one of the biggest things I've, I've, I've had to adapt to. And, uh, you know, so far it's been going well. The, the other thing, you know, for me, you know, you know this, Austin, because we have the same barber. Uh, you know, we go to Liam, you know. And so being adaptable means that, you know, I had to cut my own hair the other day. I gave myself a fade. And, uh, you know, I just want to apologize to Liam. Liam, if you ever listen to this, I'm sorry, man, for all the work you're going to have to do next month. Um, it does look good, though. Thank like, you. It, it thank doesn't look terrible. Like, at least the front of it. Like, I don't know what is in the back. <laughs> like, you might have just butchered it, but it looks good. Well, you know, I went home from the office on Friday. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to give myself a fade. And, you know, I was just, I had all this like motivation and energy. And so I did it and it looked horrible. And so I was just grumpy the rest of the night. And so I, I went back to work on it on Saturday and fixed things up a little bit. So it's not too bad, not too bad. But, uh, you know, that's, you know, part of being adaptable in some of these times. You've got to figure ways of doing things differently. And uh, yeah, what about you? I mean, I'm curious, what, how have you been adapting during this time? Yeah, like speaking about like introverted, extroverted self, like I'm an extrovert and Jess and I have been going for walks pretty close to every day or every other day. Mm-hmm. And the other day she told me, and we live in a small town just outside of the city. And she was like, you know, you, you can't wave at people as they drive on the highway. That's weird. And like, there's a part <laughs> of it that's just like craving, just like. This is just something you, you do. You just wave to pe- people on the highway. I grew up in a small town. And so you like wave to everyone. Oh, and so we're nice. like, we're just walking down the highway and I just start waving at everyone. <laughs> and she's like, you got to stop doing that. That's just weird. That, and that distracting too, I think. I guess, yeah. I, I guess so. <laughs> 
yeah and then like another thing that i've been doing is like yeah like craving that like social interactions mm -hmm. played a couple of board games online with some friends we uh, actually played settlers of Catan last night classic via zoom uh, we had one friend who just rubber banded his phone to a tripod and just hovered it over the game board and everyone kind of had cards and, and we played it and wow. it was a lot of fun and we my voice cracked there a little bit but um <laughs> yeah just like some different ways to get those social interactions you know and it's even interesting this was with friends that i haven't gotten together with in a while mm -hmm. and it's actually interesting that technology is actually given us kind of a new creativity of how we can hang out and, and to continue to build friendships even with you know distance right and so definitely yeah, there's this unique opportunity that comes in, in in this time to adapt and to think creatively and, you know, kind of throw things at the wall and see see what sticks. And, mm -hmm. and, you know. and Because the thing is, all this stuff has existed before. Oh, yeah, for it, sure. We just haven't utilized it until now we're being, we're being forced to be adaptable. And so yeah. it's really bringing out the, the, the positives of some of this technology that exists. Yeah, like even like our circle group on Sunday, we, we all downloaded an app called House Party which allowed us to video conference each other just on our phones. And then there's like games in the app. So we were able to play like trivia games or like a nice. Pictionary game. And so even for like our circle group, you know, we've kind of met every other week physically, but, you know, could we meet every week, you know, physically and digitally and, and just kind of alternate yeah. between the two. And so that's awesome. There's some opportunities that come with this. And, you know, like you said, this forced adapting has allowed us to think a little bit creatively creatively or a little bit more out of the box and, and yeah kind of explore some new options yeah opens the doors to a lot of things for sure yeah okay john like my next question is and this is a little bit more of a kind of a, a meta question but how are you seeing the church you know both like circle and, and kind of just generally adapt during this you know solely really mm -hmm. um digital time you know we're not able to meet physically and gather on sunday right. mornings how are you seeing the church adapt at this time? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, you know, that's a really big question. I, uh, I think a lot of us are thinking those same thoughts and have been reflecting on those over, over these last few weeks. Um, you know, I, I really think that this epidemic, you know, this pandemic has changed uh, the way that we do church forever. Oh, for sure. Forever. You know, in, in this time of forced pause and, and forced isolation, you know, the church, you know, Christendom as a whole has been forced to just adapt to, to doing its work in a completely digital sphere. Uh, and so this has forced many churches to kind of step into the 21st century and actually take advantage of technologies that exist to connect with their, with their members. Uh, you know, I, I really think that it's, it's revolutionized the way that the message of hope and, and grace will be delivered. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it's just fascinating, so fascinating to witness some churches, you know, some which use overhead projector still, you know, and, oh and songbooks. And not that there's anything wrong with that, right? Nothing wrong with that. But these are churches that are now utilizing, you know, Facebook Live, Instagram, Church Online, Snapchat. I've, I've seen some churches use TikTok, which is just awesome. It's incredible what's happening in the global church because of this, in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of this, you know, fear and uncertainty. In the midst where the horrible things are happening, like thousands of people have died from this, you know? Yeah. And so it's not an issue to take lightly, but uh, it's really opened up an opportunity for the church to uh, be adaptable. Uh, you know, from this past weekend, Church Online, which is run by Life Church, said that over 20,000 people accepted Christ online from the thousands of churches that use their platform. 
20,000 Austin. I mean, that's, that's insane. That's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, no, there's something that like unique about church being online. I think being thrust into the digital space has given um, an interesting dynamic for people really exploring faith. For sure. That, you know, if you were intimidated about going to church or stepping foot in a church, um, that's kind of dissolved at this point where, you know, it's as simple as just logging in, checking out a church's service and really exploring, you know, who is Jesus? You know, how is God impacting my life? And in, in a time where there's chaos and hopelessness, um, to hear the message of mm -hmm. hope and of mm -hmm. grace and, and to, you know, have the ability over the next number of weeks to explore that mm -hmm. is fantastic. And it's really interesting. I've had conversations with a couple of rural pastors lately where um, they're being, you know, challenged and stretched and thrust into this digital space too, where right. um, I was talking to a wife of a pastor um, in a small town that I live in, and she was saying that there's people signing in digitally that have never set foot in their church oh, that's before, so awesome. or, you know, they would never have thought would yeah. step foot in their church. And so I think there's this unique thing that comes with being thrust in the digital space. For sure. You know, it's, uh, I think one of the biggest barriers for people to do church is, is church, you know, it is the physical building. And so, uh, you know, for us to be adaptable during this time and take advantage of different ways of doing that, I think for sure we're gonna, yeah. we've seen results and we're going to continue to see results from that. Yeah, you, know, that. you know, the reality now is that, you know, despite all the toll that this virus has taken on, you know, people's lives, you know, people's families and economies, the thing is that the church is perfectly positioned to bring the gospel, you know, just like you said, the gospel, the truth of Jesus's death and resurrection to an even greater audience, perfectly positioned. And, and the thing is, we know that the world is, is seeking this connection out. It's not just us, us reaching out and not receiving anything back. The world is seeking this connection out. You know, like we mentioned in our previous podcasts, uh, there, a graduate student from Cambridge University released a study showing that you know, the search intensity for prayer has doubled with every 80,000 cases of COVID-19. That's crazy. Has doubled. That's crazy. Yeah, and, and I think that it just shows that people are searching, yearning, and, and longing for something more. And, and I believe that something more is what we as Christians believe in. You know, the triune God that sent his son to earth, fully God, fully man, to pay the price, this horrible death, so that we might be able to experience maximum freedom from the bondages of, of sin. Like that's a really, you know, encouraging stat in the sense that like there's this heightened curiosity when it comes to faith. And, and even too, like there's this, people coming to the end of themselves mm -hmm. where there was kind of this cultural overconfidence in self where it's like, I, I can do this if I just get the right job, you know, right. And do that. But you know, there's this, this forced curiosity and there's this coming to one's end of the self. And I think it's interesting how throughout history, God has used different mediums to um, reach people, oh, incredible. you know, like, yeah. um, you know, when churches were being planted by Paul, it was, you know, using the Roman road system that just mm -hmm. allowed them to stretch over, mm -hmm. you know, most of the known world. And then, you know, fast forward a couple of, you know, hundred years and the printing press all of a sudden allowed scripture and other things to be accessible Radical and change. that caused an incredible revival. And I just wonder in this moment how God is going to use, you know, the internet and, and, and you know, digital spaces mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to get the message of Jesus out. And I think as the church and as followers of, of Jesus, that we really need to pay attention to this moment that, you know, God may be using this medium and this um, way of reaching people mm -hmm. who are 
increasingly more curious about about spiritual things. Yeah, and I think you're spot on. I think we often ask the question, where is God in the midst of this chaos? I think where where is God in just in general, I think yeah. we ask. But in the midst of this chaos, in, in uncertainty, in times of fear, you know, where is he working? And I think we're going to look back on this moment in history and we will see how God has moved through his church, as imperfect mm-hmm. as we are, to bring the message of hope to a, a world that is just groaning and, and yearning for it. And, uh, you know, I know we hear a lot of, you know, different churches doing different things and we all have opinions on that, right? Mm. So, you know, we, you know we, can, we can disagree with it. We can agree with it. We can complain. But I think bottom line, you know, I fully believe that God is capable, just like he does in the book of Judges, you know, throughout scripture, you know, with very dodgy leaders yeah. of taking imperfect people, imperfect organizations, which we all are, by the way, and doing something remarkable with it. You know, God has, you know, Eldon, Pastor Eldon used this quote a few weeks ago, and I'm going to use it again, but God has a history of taking crucifixions and turning them into resurrections. So what more can he do during a pandemic? Amen. Amen. Yeah, I actually have nothing to add. I think that sums it up perfectly. <laughs> like, I think um, when, we, when we read throughout Scripture, I've been, I've been reading the Bible. I'm trying to read the Bible in one year. And, nice. and when you, as you read the story of the Old Testament, it's like God just uses every and anyone who's mm-hmm. willing. And I think that's, um, that's a key posture that we need to have as the church is, you know, like, you know, God, what are you doing and how can we partner you with mm-hmm. partner mm-hmm. in that with you? Um, so what do you think some of the keys for the church and for Christians are moving forward? Yeah. I mean, like we started off this podcast saying, um, one of the postures that pastor Paul mentioned in our first podcast was adaptability. How can we be adaptable in times like this, but even, even beyond. And, uh, you know, I think this is the number one thing for church churches to keep in mind going forward. Mm. And you know, I think Pastor Paul was spot on. Absolutely. Yeah. Being adaptable is so critical in these times, but I'd like to suggest that it's even more important when we eventually return, whenever that is to, you know, a new normal. You know, we've been forced to adapt here and we've done a pretty good job at it. I would say we've done a yeah. remarkable job at it as the church has done, but it must continue. It has mm-hmm. to continue. The church and, and Christians need to continually adapt to, to a shifting, a changing culture. And, and I want to, you know, qualify that statement a little bit. I know it can often be a statement of controversy, right? You know, that the church shouldn't flow with the, with the ebbs and flow and the changes in society and culture. You know, but I struggle with that thinking because that's exactly what the early church did. Like you said, yeah. you know, the early church adapted to the culture and the society around them. Mm-hmm. You know, Christianity was deeply, deeply influenced by, by Judaism and, and the Roman cultural institutions. So we don't need to be afraid of adapting. And, you know, in our current cultural moment, uh, where, you know, we here in Canada are now in a post-Christian, a post-modern era. It's not, it's really not that people are rejecting the teachings of Jesus, but they're just not aware of what those teachings are. You know, they're actually quite open to Christianity. You know, you've, you've had conversations, you know, working with Alpha Austin, you've had many yeah. conversations with many people. People are actually quite open to Christianity when the Christians they interact with are the loving, generous people that we're actually supposed to be, you know? Yeah. Uh, You know, why? Uh, You know, Christianity offers this radically beautiful alternative to secular culture. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so even just kind of going off of that train train of thought, do you just kind of want to, you know, give us some background of what um, postmodernism is, just kind of quickly, briefly? For sure. You know, people may have heard that before or they might not have, and that's okay. But 
you know, defining postmodernism can be a little bit tricky sometimes because it's really a spectrum. But the idea is that, uh, you know, postmodernism, there's no absolutes. Hmm. And truth is different for everyone, which is a really dangerous game. Uh, but uh, one of uh, the authors that I've read on this topic, Thomas J. Ord, writes that postmodern Christians can live faithfully between the absence of absolute certainty and the abyss of extreme relativism. And that middle ground promotes both humility and conviction. So actually, when you look at postmodernism, you know, people just look at postmodernism and they say it's all bad and, you know, there's no hope for, you know, mm -hmm. postmodern world. But there's actually an openness to interpretation and diversity. And it recognizes, you know, the biases and presuppositions that exist. So therefore, interpretations and diversity exist. So there is an openness to spirituality. Mm. Postmodernity opens the door to there being more. Now, the issue with that becomes, you know, but which spirituality, right? Yeah. You know? uh, but there's no absolute truth. And true, you know, maybe as Christians, we, we don't know everything. But the thing is, incomplete knowledge isn't the same thing as false knowledge. And so, you know, the bottom line is that Christianity is really attractive to our current culture. But it's sometimes us as Christians who turn people away from experiencing that. So it's not the shifting culture that's the issue, but our willingness to adapt and continually be adaptable. Yeah, no, that's good. Do you have any concerns about what this might look like long term? Oh, many concerns. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, I do have one large concern, and that's, you know, as we eventually move into a new normal, uh, we're going to go back to doing the church, you know, the way we have in the past. In our buildings surrounded by our walls, mm -hmm. where things are, are known and, and comfortable. It's what's familiar to us, right? But that's just the issue. And we've talked about this before in our conversations, Austin, that, you know, the gravitational pull of the church is always towards the insider. Mm -hmm. And when this pandemic is over, churches might be pulled back. They might be sucked back into that vortex, right? But we're positioned, like I said, uniquely mm -hmm. to do something better, do something greater, but only if we're willing to be adaptable. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I, when I was texting you last night, um, you know, I, I, do you remember what I told you to do? Yes, you uh, asked me to watch episode three of The Last Dance, which wasn't a, a huge ask. If you, I, how have you found that series, by the way? Um, some amazing friends suggested it to me. That's <laughs> only how I found it. Yeah, I mean, if you haven't watched The Last Dance, it, it's about the Chicago Bulls and uh, their final run at a championship, trying to complete a second uh, three P. So a little bit of backstory on that. And, and, and even too, like, it's probably going to go down as one of the greatest documentaries ever. Like, Oh, I think so. Even ahead of Tiger King. It's that or Tiger King. It's a toss up. Yeah. So it, it's actually <laughs> phenomenal. Like I, I'm not like a huge, huge basketball fan, but I just find myself getting just drawn into like the romance of that time mm -hmm. period. So yeah, mm -hmm. just give us a little bit of background. Yeah. Of yeah. You know, the Chicago Bulls, uh, you know, obviously with Michael Jordan, they had won five championships you know they accomplished one three-peat so that's three straight championships and uh, they're trying to complete their second three-peat of championships in the 97-98 season and you know they'd won two straight championships but they entered the season in chaotic fashion right it just it was not going well the team was in disarray uh, they weren't playing championship level basketball and they were just nine and seven in november of, of 97 so their record was nine and seven which is really bad considering you're, you know, your five-time championship team, 
you know, and you're trying to work on a three-peat and you enter the season going nine and seven. Yeah, didn't they like say something about them like getting 50 wins the previous season before they had their seventh mm-hmm. loss? Yep. So like that puts in perspective of how off the mark they were to start that season. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and the thing is, you know, most people thought they were done, that this was the last dance and it was going to end on, on this sour note. Uh, you know, they had the best player in the game with Michael Jordan and, and one of the best in the league, Scottie Pippen. Uh, but Pippen was out from an injury and he had some issues with management. So the load fell kind of squarely on Michael. Well, yeah, like the story with Pippen is that like he was grossly underpaid. Like grossly. hugely underpaid. Yeah. For being one of the best players in the NBA. So, you know, that's a different story. But, you know, I'm, uh, Austin, I'm not sure if you remember what their coach Phil Jackson said, but. Uh, in this interview, he said that the key to thurn- turning things around, despite being nine and seven and their team just being in disarray, uh, you know, to flip the script was to do what? Was to adapt. Yeah. And adapt quickly. And that's what he said. He said, we adapt, we adapt quickly, and we start winning. Yeah. So what they did is they leaned on Dennis Rodman. If you know about Dennis Rodman, he's, a, he's an interesting character, uh, but he's also a legendary rebounder and one of the best defenders in the game. And he helped them kick into a new gear. And the thing is, when Scottie Pippen returned, they ended up winning 53 of their last 66 games that season. Which is insane. Incredible. And they later beat the Utah Jazz in the finals, completing their second three-peat and cementing their legacy as the greatest basketball team in history. Adapt. Adapt quickly. And, man, that, when I watched that yesterday, I was like, man, how relevant is that for us in this time? You know? You know, we have indeed adapted quickly. And for some churches finally stepping into the 21st century, yeah. right? But as I said earlier, we're positioned uniquely to share the teachings of Jesus to a far greater audience, uh, to the nuns and duns, as we call them, you know, those that have been disconnected from faith for a number of reasons, and those that have never heard about the life and teachings of Jesus. We are positioned to reach them. And the thing is, I, I think if we can continue to be adaptable, I think we'll look back on this moment of time in history mm-hmm and see how the church has leveraged the use of technology and radical creativity to bring hope in the darkness. You know, the thing is, we're not tailoring the message. That's really important. Mm -hmm. We're not tailoring their message. That remains. We're tailoring the experience and the medium in which people can experience that. So I'm just, I just want to say, I'm excited for us here at Mm -hmm. Circle, you know, to have been already leading the charge when it comes to, to being a church for those that are exploring their faith, and for those that have walked away or are disconnected, you know, in our church survey, there's a reason why we have twice a natural, national average of people uh, that have walked away from the church that are now, yeah. have now come back to the church. There's a real reason behind that. And, you know, this is a very specific vision and purpose that God has placed on this church. And I think because, you know, we've been so adaptable here, we are positioned to be an agent of the hope that the gospel brings and use culture to reach culture in our post-Christian society. Yeah, I just, I honestly love that Phil Jackson quote, you know, like, you know, adapt, adapt quickly and mm-hmm. we'll start winning. Like, I think an example of that as a church, you know, we we launched Alpha Online last Thursday and it kind of just started as like, hey, like this would be kind of cool to do. Like, I think, I think we can make it happen. Um, there was really no playbook of mm-hmm. how to do that. <laughs> how are we going to, you know, do a ministry that's, you know, primary principle is gathering together around a table around a meal right. watching a video and having discussion together in a room and i think just that that same kind of idea and, and mindset you know like let's adapt let's use this cultural moment there's people 
exploring faith all over, not just our city, but we had people sign in all over the country, the country you wow. know, Calgary, yeah. Ontario. And I think, um, you know, as a church, if we, if we really hold on to that, you know, like let's, let's be students of the culture, let's be students of the cultural moment. Let's see what, what's happening around us and then have this idea that, you know, as we kind of learn over here, we're going to, we're going to inject that like into what we do to reach people. So, you know, everyone at this point is getting familiar with the zoom and zoom like platforms. So why don't we take alpha to that where we're not mm -hmm, actually mm -hmm, mm -hmm. confined by, you know, geographic location or people's schedules, you know, people are less busy than they've ever been before. And so that idea, you know, if, if we, if we look at the cultural moment, we look at the need of the culture and then we, you know, say, let's head in that direction and to reach people for Jesus. And I think that's just brilliant um, wisdom that was used in a basketball context that we so can good. take in, into our church context. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us, John. This has been an amazing conversation. I'm sure we could sit and talk about church. We could talk about this for hours and hours and hours. And I think the only people that would listen to that are, are us too. <laughs> yeah. And I think we could probably sit and talk about basketball for a long time. Oh, and, so long. And, and so, yeah, this has been really good and I've really appreciated this. Absolutely. Um, we want to invite you to join us next week as we tackle another one of our seven postures. We also want to invite you to join us on Sunday at 1030 uh, at Church Online or at 7 p.m. on Facebook Live. Um, just some great ways to continuing our series, Who's in Charge? We also want to remind you we're doing a book giveaway. Giveaway? Yeah, giveaway. Tell me about that. Yeah, we're giving away a copy of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which kind of lines up with um, this current series. Mm -hmm. And so all you need to do to enter into that draw is like this podcast, subscribe to it, and share it with some of your friends, whether that's just, you know, through text, sharing the podcast that way, or just sharing the video um, post on Facebook. And then just comment done in the comments and we'll enter you in to win a copy of that book. That easy. That easy. Wow. Yeah, that easy. Just Can I win this too? Um, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Just giving me dirty looks over here. <laughs> yeah. But that's how you do it. Just share the podcast with someone and then just put in the comments done and we'll enter you to a, potentially win a copy of that book. But in saying that, this has been a really fun conversation, John, and, I, and I've enjoyed it immensely. Yeah, thanks for having me. And join us next week as we continue more conversations. Have a great week. Know that we're praying for you.